If there is time, why don't you believe in God and what is atheism? And we'll be picking up a news item uh, when we've discussed those questions. And so without any further ado, let's just jump right in. Uh, I'll start. Why don't you believe in God? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this since I have made it public that I don't believe in God. I've been asked it by friends. I have been somewhat asked uh, actually, I have been asked by uh, family. I've been asked by strangers on the board. Uh, when I listen to shows with Christians and atheists, this is the question that I hear most often. Uh, and so I, uh, I want to, to just jump in uh, and, and start us off on that. Uh, so uh, Andrew and I are going to have different perspectives uh, on this. And I think that you will find that no two atheists are exactly the same on this. There are all kinds of reasons that people don't believe. Uh, and so in my case, I think that the more interesting question is, why did I ever believe? Because I was a Christian once upon a time. And so I did believe. So I think when you understand why I did believe, it becomes a little bit easier to understand why I don't now. So I, I believed because I was born into the church. So that would be the first thing. My parents uh, taught me about God. Everyone in uh, my community believed in God. Uh, I never saw an example of some in God. So I didn't even know that uh, not believing in God was possible. Um, another reason is that I was taught that uh, there were facts about the world that only pointed to God. And, and then finally... Uh, I was given certain expectations uh, that would only be true if there was a God. So why don't I believe in God? Well, one of one of the reasons is I grew up. I grew up and I stopped believing a lot of things that I believed as a child. And so I, I think that once you, you know, one of the dangers of indoctrinating a person as a child is that the God belief becomes one of the childhood beliefs that uh, they can discard with a lot of childhood beliefs. Uh, now, I did not discard it as a child, but once I realized that that's one of the things I brought with me as a child, and once I started reevaluating it, uh, it did become a factor as a, as a childhood belief. Um, as far as the things that I learned about the world that pointed to a God, uh, because I learned those things as a child, I didn't know much about the world. So as I learned more about the world, uh, I saw a world that operated just fine without a God explanation. Uh, and finally, the expectations that I was given of a God, things like answered prayer, just, just as an example. Well, as I grew up, uh, one expectation after another uh, failed, and I, and I lost the ability to make excuses for why those things failed. So in a nutshell, uh, those are the reasons that I don't believe in God. There are more. We could go on for a long time, but I think it's more valuable once you understand why I did believe in God. Uh, you can understand what I lost uh, as opposed to just coming at it from a vacuum. And Andrew? 
So I think my experience is similar and different from uh, from how you lost Christianity, walked away from Christianity, how you ultimately found it uh, vestigial. I think we've talked about that in the past, and maybe maybe that's where we both ended up, right? It just felt vestigial, like something we didn't need. But um, because I didn't grow up uh, in, a, in a church, my family had religious views, but we didn't go to church every Sunday. So I, I didn't experience that same level of indoctrination that I know that I know you experienced. And, and I didn't start going to church regularly until I was 13, 14, some, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up on uh, Jacques Cousteau and Wild Kingdom. And I grew up playing in the woods. Uh, I grew up uh, in, a, in a very sort of natural environment with no real counters to those influences. So when I decided to adopt Christianity, that adoption started as a social convenience because Christianity does provide all of us a, a, a certain amount of uh, benefit, right? We get, we get a social community and we get built-in friends and, and we get people to listen to us. And, and, and maybe, maybe we even get answered prayers, right? right. So, so there's a package of appeal that goes along with Christianity, the whole, the whole Christian good press package, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, was, I sort of got one of those. And, and, and so now I've got my Christian press package and, and everything is okay, except that for me, it never really was okay. Right, right. If uh, if I can interject uh, about the, the press package, there there is a kind of a an offering that is appealing to a young person that says all of your problems are going to be solved. Yeah. This, you know, you you've yeah. got these problems. You've got this teen angst. You've got you know whatever whatever's going on with you. This God shaped hole. Uh, you're feeling sad and depressed and out of place. But you know. Here, this package of solutions. If you just accept this on faith, it's gonna fix it. You're gonna you're gonna uh, be a person that uh, is accepted and loved, and you'll have a place in the world, and uh, you'll you'll have peace and a community. Uh, and and so there there is this package that I think is is very attractive uh, to a young person because they don't understand that you know there there is no such quick and easy fix, but it, it certainly felt like that when I was young. And part of the disconfirmation for me was, you know what, that didn't really turn out to be the case. Right. And so you may remember, uh, because we spent a lot of time together growing up, we've been friends for, I think I, I think I was looking at it the other day, we've, we've been friends for 37 years. So, yeah. Yeah, we've been friends a long time. And you may recall that there was a, there was a girl that I dated for, for a long time in high school. I, I dated her for, um, you know, three years. Um, and one of the things that I noticed even then was that Christianity didn't offer the relief that it was promised to offer. We still had... 
the, the typical teenage problems that everyone that didn't go to church suffered. Uh, we, we had our own teenage scares. We had uh, the same temptations that teens that didn't go to church have. And no matter how often we went, and no matter what church we went to, the only way that I could identify a God in my life, even then, though I didn't know the term special pleading, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't have those words. But I had that sensation that whenever something worked out, I had to fit God into that hole. Yes, right. And, and so when I decided to be honest about sort of God spackle, right? Here's, here's this hole. And now I've got this, I've got this God spackle and I, I just, and, and now, now that hole is filled with God. Right. And, and when I stopped that, when I said, what if I just don't pray about these things? What if I just, what if I just look for a different kind of cause? What if I approach this neutrally? Right. I discovered that there's a whole other way to view the world that was more predictive than the Christian tools I was using. So I don't have that one on my list, but I can tell you that, that that's a big uh, factor, I think. Um, in fact, in uh, the book that uh, we recently uh, published, uh, response to uh, Justin Briley's uh, Unbelievable, and something that I'm sure that we'll talk about as the podcast uh, goes on, uh, I mentioned the, there's there's a, a burden, if you will, of trying to make God fit into things and, and trying to find the good things that you can give God credit for and making excuses for the bad things so that God doesn't take the blame for anything. And that is a very heavy burden to carry. It's very difficult mm -hmm. uh, to keep that up. It is. So um, just a couple of other things on, on my list on this question, um, and I'll just go through them uh, very quickly. Uh, this, the second answer uh, to why I don't believe in God is just the source material is hopelessly faulty. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that uh, Christians will, will uh, be listening to this part uh, somewhat eagerly thinking, ah, so you think the Bible has faults. And, and they're thinking, yes, but I can, I can explain all of those. I assure you, I have read all of the books. I have done all of the exercises to try to explain away the problem of the Bible. I, I simply could no longer do it. And so the only place we learn about God is the Bible. There's, there's no Yahweh outside of the Bible. If you never pick up a Bible, there's nothing that will ever bring you to Yahweh. So the Bible has to be uh, of a higher order of accuracy than, than pretty much anything else. And I just found over my years of reading it and studying it, there were just too many things that were inconsistent or contradictory or just plain wrong. Uh, and, and there simply ended up being no way that I could reconcile the problems with the, the source material and, and still believe uh, in the thing that the source material is trying to portray. So 
right. that, that that's it for me. I mean, I just and I just I want to let anyone out there know, um, don't don't bother sending me the you know the the book or the website or the organization that can fix all of the Bible uh, errors or the you know to to tell me that oh no they're not real errors. I've been down that road. I will never be able to view the Bible as anything other uh, than a faulty, error-laden human book. So I want to go with I I want to go at that differently. Just just so that anyone listening has another approach, because it does sound enticing. Look, we both went through this. It does sound enticing to say that I have this one perfect book, and if I can just understand this one perfect book, I'm sort of an expert on everything I can possibly need to know uh, about the world around me, right? If I can just manipulate these verses into the right pattern, I've got the problems of the universe solved. That's sort of the promise of a perfect book. And if that's not the promise, if you think the promise of a perfect book is something other than that, I would like to know what the purpose is. And by the way, you can always reach out to us at reasonpress.net and ask us questions. But talking about a perfect Bible, let's pretend that it's perfect from front to back. Does the ability to write a perfect book, one perfect book, necessarily require the greater premise that a perfect God instructed it to be written? I don't see that that's necessarily the case. It is possible to make a perfect argument that isn't true. And in the same way, I think it is possible in a broader sense, to make a book that is internally consistent that does not tell you true things. Agreed. Please feel free uh, to write in uh, with uh, about your questions with regard to our views of the Bible. Um, I, I could spend a whole show on that, and I suspect we will at yeah, some point. probably. Um, but uh, the third reason that I just wanted to touch on uh, as we approach the 15-minute mark uh, is uh, one that I, I think the, that Christians might um, want to fire at a little bit. And I, I understand it's not a good argument, but it is a true argument. Um, the God of the Bible is awful. Uh, <laughs> Those are fighting words. <laughs> yes, Yahweh, Yahweh is a terrible beast in in the Bible. I've I've read it. Um, on every page, his every motive, his every action, uh, seems awful to me. And so I have only two choices as I see it. I either believe in this God and hate him. And, and actively work against him, uh, or disbelieve in this God and, and dismiss him. So I don't see any benefit in believing in an evil God. Because if an evil God is real, then we're toast anyway. There's nothing you can do. Uh, but 
he's supposed to be a good God. And as the Bible presents him, he's not good in any way that I understand good. So we've, we've talked about this uh, in the past. I, I agree that God is not good in any way that I understand good. He's not good from the parent perspective, right? He's, he's, he's not a good parent if God's total motivation is to give us exactly what we need and nothing that we want, just, just as, a, as a for instance. And that's pretty common a pretty common tactic of Christians to say that that God will give you what you need. Well, I've got two children. That's not how I parent. I do give my children what they need. That that's certainly true. But just giving my children what they need doesn't necessarily make them happy. And if we just accept for a moment, just for a moment that there are times when it's a parent's job to make their children happy, then just saying, I gave you what you need, only means that I didn't neglect you. I don't find that a very compelling case for God being good. Yeah, so I was, I was communicating with someone uh, not very long ago, uh, a Christian, who was chiding me for using the parent analogy and suggesting that I was... Uh, counting too heavily on the God as a parent analogy, uh, when what I should have been uh, using is God as uh, a sovereign king. And uh, I responded to her that it doesn't make it any better <laughs> if, you, if you take God from the parent role and put him as a sovereign king role. He's still an evil king. And uh, there is a reason why civilized nations aren't ruled by kings anymore. <laughs> so um, you, don't, you don't actually make it better uh, by taking God out of the parent role and putting him to a, a different role. The, the point is, he's still bad, no matter what role you put him in. Uh, and you can't put him in a role that, that justifies the evil that we see in Scripture with regard to this God. Now, once again, we can talk about this a lot, and I, I understand the response uh, that just because you don't like this God doesn't mean this God isn't real. I understand that. Sure. But the God that is supposed to be real is a good God. And the Bible gives me no reason to believe in a good God. Uh, well, that's right. At some point on Ask an Atheist Anything, we will get to why I don't accept that there is a God from, from more basic facts, right? When we, when we talk about whether nature can lead us to a God, when we, when we get to that kind of argument, we'll talk about more foundational reasons why I think neither of us actually accept that there's a God. But just talking about the Bible, so we were talking about source material, right? And I don't think the source material provides a clear way to walk away with the notion that God is good. And for all of you that are thinking in your heads, but John 3, 16, that doesn't do it for me. Right. I mean, the Bible says God is good, but then he shows him doing bad things. Uh, so, you know, I can say that I am good, 
but you know, by you know, if I can quote the Bible in another place, by your fruits you will know them. So if uh, if that is true, then we can look at uh, God's fruits and know Him. And so again, on uh, this is this is stuff that we'll be glad to talk about on another show. I want to see if we can't spend maybe ten minutes or less on the second question, though, which I think is very important which is what is atheism? And I think it's very, mm-hmm. uh, pretty important to express, at least from our perspective, because what I mostly hear are Christians defining a, a straw man as atheism mm-hmm. and, and then trying to fit me into their definition. And so conversations generally don't get off the ground very well when a Christian tries to define what atheism is for me and then says, that's what you're supposed to be. That doesn't work any more than if I try to define what Christianity is to them and then try to fit them in, into that box. Right. Uh, and so I, I just wanted to give us a chance to, to talk about it from our perspective. For me, the word is pretty descriptive. And maybe if you just say it a little bit differently, it'll have a slightly different meaning. So instead of atheist, try atheist. Uh, just putting the emphasis uh, slightly different. Because atheism is to be without theism. I, I do not live or think or behave theistically. Uh, I, I do not have a theistic framework. Uh, and so... It, it doesn't really matter, from my perspective, whether you are what some people call a hard atheist who say there is no God, or whether you're a soft atheist who says, well, we can't know whether there's a God. That would be maybe an agnostic. Neither one of those descriptions matter much to me, because both people, both categories, are people who are living their lives without theism. They are living atheistically. Yes. So that that is atheism to me. And as far as what else atheism is, well, it really isn't anything else. It's not a worldview. It's not a political structure. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It is simply living without regard to theism. Uh, and everything else goes. I know of atheists who believe in the supernatural. Uh, they, they believe in life after death. They believe in uh, dualism, body and soul. Um, they believe in all kinds of things. They just don't believe in anything like a god. Uh, and so it is, it, it is not correct to say that atheists are a certain worldview where they have they share certain characteristics as far as i know the only characteristics that atheists share is that they are atheistic in the way that they approach life and so that that is atheism for me and i'm afraid that i'm not going to fit well into any other box you try to put me in sometimes i will take on the mantle of humanist and and even then with some reservations but uh, andrew what about you so I guess I am, I guess I am the typical Isaac Asimov atheist. Um, Dr. Asimov once said words like this. He was searching. Uh, he, he wrote some books about uh, Genesis. He wrote uh, a bunch of books about, about theism. But he said that he so strongly suspected that there was not a God that 
it was not worth his time to pursue it, right? And that's sort of what I'm, I am not saying that there is no God. However, I will go to the line and say that the notion of an interventionist God, a God that is answering my prayers and twisting the tail of space-time to make everything work out toward some end. I see absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever. Now, if, if, there, is a, if there is a God hiding under a rock somewhere in the Wolf 359 uh, solar system, okay. But I can completely live my life as an atheist in the classic Christian sense. And it seems to me that whenever Christians say, you can't know there's not a God, it's an equivocation on the actual conversation of whether the Christian God exists. And so despite that, that minor equivocation that, yes, I agree, I don't have perfect knowledge, I am willing to go to the line and say, the notion of the Christian God, that God doesn't exist. I want to look at theism in the news. And, and each time we do this, I want to look at at least one or two stories, depending on uh, the time we have. Uh, I have one story pulled up for this week. Uh, it's uh, found on uh, Premier, uh, Premier Christian Radio. And uh, the headline is, Christian Parents of Boy Rescued from Thai Cave. There's nothing God can't do. <laughs> there's, there's nothing God can't do. Now, now um, as far as I know, only one set of parents of these kids were Christians. And so I don't know what the other parents uh, are saying or, you know, if, if uh, I'm sure that reporters have taken their statements, too. But this particular uh, website, uh, Premier uh, Christian Radio, they plainly only care about the Christian parents and, uh, and what they have to say. And the Christian parents in this uh, picture are all smiles. There's nothing that God can't do. And to be sure, I can appreciate their joy uh, from having their child uh, discovered and rescued and alive and well after, after such a harrowing event. I do understand that. Uh, and as a human being, my, my heart leaps with joy as well. The only damper on this story that I can imagine is that one of the rescuers that was instrumental in saving these kids' lives, died in the process. One of the rescuers lost his life saving these kids. But this Christian parent, because they have to insert God into this somehow, there's nothing God can't do. And from my perspective, if you, if you take God out, we've got a good story. If you put God in, now I've got to say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> 
could he also not have saved the the rescuer as well? Could, <laughs> could, could he have done that? Did why did why did that guy have to die? Was he also a part of God's plan? This is the kind of nonsense that happens when you try to insert God into a situation where there is just bad luck, good intentions, and people working hard to make a bad situation right. This is, this is that God's faculty. This is, this, is another, uh, this is another can of God's faculty because what, what we have here is a claim that there's nothing God can't do. In the obvious face of if there's a God, there are some things he didn't do. What didn't he do? He didn't keep those children from walking into that cave. He didn't stop the place from being flooded. He didn't stop the Thai seal from dying in the attempt to rescue these kids. He didn't stop the trauma of those children being in that cave for, what, 10 or 12 days? I, I don't remember the exact number, so my, so my apologies. All of the things that are truly horrible about that story, and, and I, don't think, I don't think we've gotten to them yet. Right, and we've got to all of the horrible things in the story. There are some things that this God didn't do that would that were clearly good things to be done. But there's one more bit, and that is this story is entirely explicable without God. You don't need it. So I, I think you said this, Dave, and I've just this sort of story. Uh, you know, it it. it it's like bamboo shoots under the fingernails in some ways. It's, it's almost intolerable because there's nothing supernatural about this story. And to take God and insert him into this entirely explicable natural story is nothing but special pleading. Yes. It's, in fact, I, I mean, one of the things that really stands out to me is you don't, you don't see the other Thai families saying this stuff. This is, this is what the one Christian family, because this is what Christians have to say. This is what they have to do. And once they say it, once you, once you say nothing God can't do, then that invites the question, well, then why didn't he? Why didn't he do these things? Right. What, right. You know, without that saying, we, we wouldn't be asking that question. We would be rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. But because God has to be shoehorned into this in that way, now we have no other choice. Even those who don't ask it, you've got to think the question in your mind. If you're a Christian, well, you know, God, God must have had a purpose for that Navy SEAL dying. Maybe God wanted him to die. Maybe he was evil. You know, you, all kinds of things go through your mind. Maybe God was calling him home. Well, if, if you think that, then why wasn't he calling the other kids home? I don't, I just, I don't understand how inserting God in a situation like this makes it better. It doesn't make it better. I, I don't think it does. And at, at the risk of alienating listeners where I truly don't want to alienate a seeker. I, I truly don't want to alienate a seeker. I will say this. I think that it is offensive to look at the work of the, the, the various navies 
that were involved in these rescues, the, the, the degree of first responders. You know, we had a lot of different types of first responders trying to rescue that soccer coach and his, and his team. And when you turn around and you gloss over all of that human sacrifice and say there's nothing God can't do, I find, I find that offensive. Yes. And those people were not sacrificing for God. They were sacrificing out of their humanity for humans. And then Christians turn around and then give that to God. It, it, it is offensive. Uh, if I had been there, I would have wanted to do what I could do uh, to, to help out. But I would not have appreciated a Christian then taking that and saying, you, you see what uh, was done in the name of the Lord. Um, and the, the Navy SEAL who died, I don't know that he was a Christian. Uh, we don't, I didn't read that in any of the stories. I doubt that he went down there thinking I'm going, I'm going to sacrifice myself for God. But, but that's how the Christian has to think about it. Yeah. Um, one, one last thing, because we're, we're at the three, three uh, minute mark. So one, just one last observation about the story and try to, to, to burn off my steam on, on this last bit. It reminds me of the soul survivor stories. Uh, so this is kind of the opposite of the soul survivor. We had one soul death and everyone else survived. Mm. But in a soul survivor story, the person comes out of a crashed plane and they're fine and people praise God. Mm-hmm. As, as if they had not noticed the, the other 337 bodies uh, in the plane that, that won't walk out. And so it becomes a matter of, you see, God saved this person as, as if this person is the special uh, receptacle of God's grace. And, and then that invites questions such as, well, why, why that person and not the other people who died? This is the same thing, um, uh, kind of in reverse. It's, you see, God saved these people, and let's, not, let's look away and not even notice the Navy SEAL who died. Most of the stories that I read about this on the on Christian networks, they never mentioned the one who died. I wonder if you wouldn't mind me just going after that a little further, because there's a lot of meat in, in the middle of this. And part of it is we have this sort of selective bias where we can say, but, but look, God allowed that life to be spent in saving these, these children and their, and their soccer coach. And what we don't have in, in any of these kinds of circumstances is a look forward into the future where you can say, okay, yeah, it was worth that. It was worth that Navy SEAL's life, if, if, I, if I remember correctly, he was from Thailand, this, this particular SEAL. And, and so what we can't do is look into a crystal ball and say, and, and see, here is why these lives were obviously worth the spending of that Navy SEAL life, right? All you, all you have is special pleading that somehow it was worth it. Now, you mentioned the sole survivor, right? You know, we, we lose 249 out of 250 people on an airplane. 
and and you say, was that one life worth it? And, and you look forward. And if that one person continues to lead a life of quiet desperation, or that person is never saved, or whatever you think the God metric is, how can you ever say with, with any real conviction that that person's life was worth it in the sense that God is working out some overarching plan? Yeah, I think I think the Christians, at least the Christians that I know, uh, who I've been around during times like that, the only metric that they seem to care about is look at how much praise God is being given right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't really think about the lives after that. No one follows up on the life of a soul survivor and sees how they're doing. The, the, the Christian does not care. The Christian seems to care only about the amount of praise that God received from it right then that that seems to be the the metric so with this particular story look there are some people who are saved we can give god a lot of glory never mind mentioning the person who died because there's not really a lot of glory there right and so the glory metric is is one of the things that really uh gets under my skin about this sort of thing um just a reminder uh feel free to write in and uh, ask us further about this story or challenge us about any opinions that you hear. And um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to do it for me this week. Andrew, you have the last word. Uh, thank you. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, the way to write in to us is to go to reasonpress.net, uh, R-E-A-S-O-N, P-R-E-S-S dot N-E-T. On the left-hand menu bar, you'll see Ask an Atheist Anything. Feel free to send us a question there. We reserve the right to answer the question in writing or on a podcast. And if you're open to a one-on-one discussion here on this podcast, leave that in your feedback. And we will get together with you and sort out the technical details for you, the listener, to join us on Ask an Atheist Anything. And don't forget our sister podcast, Skeptics and Seekers, also available from Reason Press. I'm your co-host, Andrew Knight. And I'm David Johnson. We'll see you next time.